Now we are talking about financing the future. That is uh, the Global Climate Divest Invest Summit. Fossil fuels are a major contributor to climate change globally. In South Africa, uh, this is not a title that we are proud to sport, but we are the top goal scorers in polluting the earth with fossil fuels. We have uh, we now have oil off the coastline while our coal power stations blacken the sky. Something done uh, we need as uh, we need to do as a country and uh, globe uh, divest from fossil fuels and invest into the future, which is exactly why we have David LePage on the line to chat to us about the upcoming finance, uh, the upcoming event, the upcoming summit, Finance the Future, the Global Climate Divest Invest Summit. Uh, Good morning, David. Welcome to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's it's an absolute pleasure. And, you know, it is with much urgency that we need to have this conversation, which is why we need to start off by asking the million-dollar question. Why now? Why do we need to pay attention to the summit? Well, last year, most a lot of people don't know this, but last year the United Nations Intergovernmental Panels on Climate Change advised us that we have 12 years to cut global carbon emissions by 50% and 20 and in 30 years to cut global carbon emissions by 100% if we want to avoid levels of climate change that will bring millions and millions of people into into poverty and expose them to um, much worse effects from climate change essentially if the 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 global target that was set at the, in, in Paris in 2015 to try and hold average global warming by down to 1.5 degrees by 2100. Um, if we if we don't cut our carbon emissions very very fast, um, we risk um, putting casting enormous portions of the world into into extreme poverty and and essentially undermining any prospects of the sort of levels of global development that we hope for, for example, through sustainable development goals. In, disturbing doesn't even describe. I'm sorry, I was, I was just completely shocked when you said we have 12 years left. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And, and this is the 12 years, this is, I mean, this is 12 years to avoid the worst possible effects of climate change. If we want, so that's 12 years to cut our global emissions by half. That's an, that's an extraordinary amount of time in which, to, in which to do this. Now, what is amazing, what is amazing is that this is actually technically possible. The question is whether it's politically possible. So we, we have the wind mm. and solar energy technologies that we know we need that is to, to deploy at much bigger scale. We know that these technologies are now in many parts of the world completely economically viable, even in, in conve- um, conventional terms. That is to say that when you consider the long-term effects of climate change, uh, even something that doesn't look immediately financial vi- financially viable is in fact highly advisable. And, you know, uh, speaking of which, you know, when it, uh, especially when you were talking about uh, if it is politically possible, I mean, uh, changing policies, I mean, inevitably, that could take uh, a certain amount of time, a tremendous amount of time that we actually may not have, especially in this urgent instance. And that's where the investors come in. So how have they actually responded to the divestment movement? And will it change the uh, shared investor sentiment that their money won't fund climate change? Well, put it this way, 
when I started working on this movement about eight or nine years ago, six or seven years ago, the amount of invested capital around the world that had committed itself to decarbonization was in, in the region of, of a few hundred um, billion. The global movement for decarbonization now encompasses funds close to close to ten trillion dollars in value, and that's in a global securities market of of that that comes close to about seventy trillion dollars in total value. So the, this movement has grown faster and with greater urgency than many people seem to realize that there are cities like New York, London, Paris that are committing to no longer investing in oil, gas and coal. A whole country, Ireland, has committed to no longer investing in, in oil, gas and coal. Norway, which ironically through its sovereign wealth fund, which was built on, on oil, is, is rapidly moving to move as fast away as it possibly can from oil, gas and coal. So it's possible in, in many parts of the world that this commitment has been undertaken with great speed. Um, there are over 50 developing countries that have committed themselves to moving to 100% renewable energy in their energy mix. What we have to ask ourselves is why South Africa is not doing the same, because we are far more vulnerable to the effects of climate change than countries like the United Kingdom, for example, which have just declared a climate emergency. But South Africa has not declared a climate emergency. We are still talking about developing further fossil fuel resources. Why is this? And exactly, and you know, I think uh, you know it's quite alarming that uh, this is not a priority for South Africa. I mean, considering that I'd mentioned earlier that we are the top uh, goal scorers, so to speak, in polluting the earth, especially with uh, fossil fuels. So, I would think that would certainly uh, be something that would be uh, considered a red flag and something that should certainly be uh, looked into. Absolutely, I think. I think the problem is that. There's possibly two major reasons why South Africa is not moving in this direction as fast as we need to. And if the whole world were polluted um, as we would, we would be hitting three over four degrees of, of global warming by the end of the century, which would be absolutely catastrophic. The first reason is that the, the fossil fuel industry is that that is the coal industry in particular in South Africa is often one of the most corrupt industries there is. And a lot of people, we know in South Africa, for example, that the likes of the Guptas gravitated very strongly towards Mm -hmm. the coal industry as an an opportunity for extracting rents and taking advantage of people. But the other very powerful reason, I think, why why South Africa and our politicians and our business leaders are not um, embracing this potential transition as they need to, is that people simply haven't understood that there is another way of developing an economy other than on, based on coal, which is in fact a far better way of doing it because it doesn't come with the enormous external costs that aren't reckoned in a company's bottom line but do, do, come, uh, do affect the rest of society. So Sassel, for example, as a company, every year does around, uh, very conservatively calculated, $50 billion dollars worth of climate damages um sorry that's 50 billion rands worth of climate damages for for 25 billion rands worth in 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 revenues and that's excluding the costs of their their air pollution um excluding the the other negative effects of, of fossil fuels so to benefit a small section of society their shareholders and and those of us who use 
um, petrol. They're imposing enormous costs on current and future generations in terms of, of climate change. Now, there are companies that are committing to transition away from this kind of energy. So yes. in, 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 you know, in the Australia, for example, there is a company called Origin Energy. They are a natural gas and oil company. Um, they are committing to changing their business model to renewables as fast as possible. The Danish oil and natural gas company has done this, the same thing over the, over the past 15 years. They went from being a 90% um, fossil fuel energy company to being a 90% renewable energy company. This is what we need from our, the pillars of our economy. That is companies like Sasol and, and ESCOM and the other highly carbon intensive emitters. And you know, and and, it's, and uh, as you were speaking about uh, just how, uh, the, especially with uh, the the coal industry and how it's been highly corrupted in South Africa, actually one of our readers uh, just uh, succinctly put it: it's all about the money for South Africa, and, and unfortunately, and it's it's something that uh, I'm sure we'll still be contesting, and hopefully it will be. Well, now that we are in the um, like uh, the new stage post uh, 2019 elections. Hopefully, this will be become a a matter of urgency. And uh, now, I'd like to just steer focus to actually the uh, steering committee, uh, the global partners. Uh, which of the global partners were actually selected to uh, host the summit, and why were they chosen? Um, well, we have a, a, a list of um, people who have. Um, in, agreed to endorse our conference, um, some of whom will be attending, we're not sure yet whom, but for people, for example, the, the likes of Christiana Figueres, who is the former executive head of the, the United Nations Climate um, Framework Convention on, on Climate Change. Um, we have Bill McKibben from the um, 350 movement, which has essentially helped inspire and lead the, the divestment movement around the world. We have Mary Robinson, the former president of Ireland and an international figure in human rights. Um, people like these have endorsed this conference and will be um, doing their best to raise its profile around the world, but particularly in developing countries, um, because divestment at the moment is a movement that has been led in the global north, but we think the time has come for this to change and for this movement to also happen in the global south. And what that means is, is that, that there are countries, for example, which have development finance institutions like the Development Bank of South Africa, which need to look very strongly at their continued efforts to, to fund coal, gas and oil and start to change those efforts and be more um, committed to funding renewable energy. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's absolutely important that we have, especially when it, uh, when it comes to uh, just just addressing this matter that we have so many uh different uh you know res- respected people from uh, t- from different fields that will uh, just also help um the attendees uh just also understand the importance of this and also just the urgent need for uh, clean and universal energy access i mean already i think um you know i was uh, just uh, having a gander at uh, the website and you know i i still find it quite alarming that um one billion people uh, globally are living in energy poverty. Yeah, it's it's tragic and unnecessary. And I think what what, what South Africans often can't get their, their heads around is the idea that by moving away from from these resources that we've lived with for so long, like coal, that we can actually improve our economy. Um, so 
I've heard ANC politicians and parliamentarians saying these are God-given resources, um, things like coal, and that we have to use them. But in fact, they've become a stranglehold on our economy. In the United States and Europe, um, at the moment, they are talking about an idea called the, the Green New Deal. The, the original New Deal, of course, was the, the, the move in the, in the, during the Great Depression in the United States to address the sort of extreme damage that had been done by extreme inequality and, and um, economic collapse to create jobs for millions and millions of people, often through sort of environmental restoration, often through rural electrification in the United States. And the Green New Deal is the idea that this, this climate crisis that we face can be an opportunity to do the same in, in large parts of the world to create sort of a new type of area of high employment and of basic security and, and decent life all, as we say here in South Africa. Um, on the back of an economy that's not vulnerable to um, shifting resource prices and to resource depletion, because coal, gas, and oil, they're all going to run out. They're finite resources. Um, if we think about a, a few generations down the line, we are going to have to switch to alternative forms of energy. Let's do that before it's too late and before we've brought all these additional unwanted costs on ourselves. Absolutely. And, you know, considering how much, um, I mean, look, we, I mean, I think it's quite alarming and it's, it's surreal and it should also certainly, uh, you know, galvanize, uh, policymakers and a respective, uh, respective, uh, government and, res- and also just, uh, just change makers into action. Uh, because, I mean, look, we're halfway through uh, 2019 and, uh, 12 years is actually not that far away. No, it's not that far away. But I mean, again, this is an absolutely amazing opportunity for us. I mean, we hear our, our policymakers again and again and again talking about the curse of, of poverty and unemployment in South Africa. And it's become this, this mantra which is repeated very often, but and new policies are developed to try and to come up with ways of creating jobs. But what we don't look at is the, is the factors that are, are, are strangling our economy. And if we add up, for example, the, 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 the costs of fossil fuels that most people don't appreciate, climate change has already shrunk the South African economy by 10% of where the, the, to where it should have been. And that's just the early effects of climate change. Then every year we have GDP costs equivalent to around 6% of, of GDP from, from air pollution, which is essentially people dying prematurely from the, the effects of air pollution in, country, in areas of the country like in Kumalanga. Um, we have the, the, the costs of, of corruption in our economy, which have been estimated at anywhere between 2% and 20%. Um, so if we start to set aside these various different chokeholds that the, the, the fossil fuel economy exerts on our, our country without us even understanding it, then the, the opportunity to create more jobs and better jobs in our, in our energy sector, and that's the experience of most countries that have embraced renewable energy, um, is, is enormous. And of course, we need to take care of people in the fossil fuel sector those jobs, the, the carbon tax that was recently adopted tragically was done so without measures to offset the, its, its regressive tax impacts 
also that, that carbon tax, which is a vitally needed measure to, to stop polluters from um, continuing to emit unabated, is, is essentially going to, as, as it is formulated, cost poor people more and be an addition to existing inequality in South Africa. We are discussing a Finance the Future. You're tuned into Weekend Early. And I'm speaking to David LePage, coordinator of Fossil Free SA, and we are discussing the Global Climate Divest Invest Summit, uh, which will be taking place uh, this September. And uh, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, speaking of this, uh, you know, this taking place in September, I'd like to ask about, uh, you know, the whole registration process and, of course, all of the essential details that uh, potential investors may need should they I uh, want to attend the summit, but actually, uh, who would this uh, best appeal to? Who should actually attend? Well, I, I think it should appeal to any investor, really, that is thinking seriously about the viability of their current investments over the long term. So we know that, that most asset managers, in fact, do not really look at the risks to their portfolios that sort of go much beyond five years. Now, unfortunately, a great deal of the risks that are applied to to, to the climate that apply from climate change um, and from what's called the, the carbon transition um, risks, the technological risks of continuing to be invested in coal when most of the world is switching to to wind and solar. Um, those risks are substantial, um, and a lot of pension fund um, holders in South Africa need to be looking seriously at, at these risks. Um, but what we, the people that we're really hoping to get into the, through, through the doors of this conference to begin with are South African philanthropies and the foundations and the, the voluntary sector because I think many people in this sector who are doing excellent work at an organizational level don't realize that their funders are in many instances getting money f- from industries that are actually undermining their, their work and their excellent work on the ground. And it makes no sense to be an NGO that's working in health or to be working in, in gender issues or working for youth um, when you're busy undermining that, that, that the future of those people and the future of your beneficiaries um, through your, the investments that you're benefiting from. Absolutely. And now for uh, the essential details. So uh, where, uh, when is this taking place? Just to remind our listeners, uh, uh, the venue and also the whole registration process, uh, how does that all work? The venue is the Cape Town Aquarium. It's happening over two days, the 10th and 11th of September. And if you go to our website, which is financingthefuture.global, that is financingthefuture.global, um, you can register your interest on the website there. And uh, on that note, we do end the conversation. Uh, David, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for informing us of this. And um, I'm certainly sure that potential investors listening in will be uh, will be sure to attend. Thank you so much. And we're wishing you all the best for the summit. And may it have an absolutely positive outcome. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. That was David LePage, and we were talking about financing the future, the Global Climate Divest Invest Summit, taking place uh, on the 10th and the 11th of September at uh, Two Oceans Aquarium.